Bob Newhart Show. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about The, the Night, Night Stalker. Not the 80s Night Stalker. No, not the serial killer. Not uh, Richard Ramirez. No, the TV movie, The yeah. Night Stalker. You know, Lou Diamond Phillips played the serial killer Night Stalker. Oh, yeah? 2016. Should have played the Night Stalker's dad, because uh, <laughs> he was a lot older yeah, than Mr. He, Ramirez. I'm pretty sure he would have been in his late 50s or 60s by that point. Whenever I hear about Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, all I can think about is he had these rotting teeth. Yeah. And... He had from all from all the witnesses the most disgusting breath. Yeah, yeah, of any human being. Yeah, Satan uh, was living in his belly and stinking, stinking I mean, up his mouth. He won the what the dating game or whatever, Ugh. and and the woman refused. <laughs> she was like, "I'm not going out with him. That's not crazy. Go, I'm going out with stank mouth. Yeah. I'm not going out with poop mouth." Well, regardless. This is not about Richard no. Ramirez. I heard he ate cat poops. Um, although I'm sure the bad guy, uh, the bad guy, the killer in the Night Stalker TV movie probably had some pretty gnarly breath, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, he'd, he'd drinking all that blood. <laughs> he, he smelled like a, his, his uh, mouth smelled like a sack full of pennies. Yeah. This was, it was great because this was the beginning of, like, the, the TV movie era. Oh yeah. Uh, maybe, I, I mean, I think it was a little bit before this, but like this was like the height, the gold. Oh of yeah. The TV movie. Well, era. there were always TV movies, and there were, in the fifties and sixties, it was mostly like live performances that were the big thing, right? Like right. you know, live theater or the the yeah. studio playhouse. They were translating like variety shows into mm-hmm. like TV, and it was the easiest way. And yeah. and you know, because they always sh- would just show movies, like old movies, right? 50s, right. Know. But yeah, when they started making their own movies. We got some pretty good ones. Yeah. And this yeah. one is on the top of the list. Oh, it's so good. Well, take yourself back to 1972. Ooh. January 4th, the first scientific handheld calculator, HP 35, is introduced and priced at $395. Yeah, that's 72395 which makes it like, what, $1,000 million? I want to say I think it's like $1,800 now or something. Probably. It's like a computer. Yeah, I mean, yes. I it, the people were fascinated. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it 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 helped them make scientific calculations. January 7th, Iberia Airlines flight 602 crashes into a 462 meter peak on the island of Ibiza. 104 people are killed. It's Ibiza. Okay. Well, <laughs> I sorry. I, I'm um, not I'm not from Spain. So You're I, not from España? España? Um, yes. Uh, Ibiza. That's horrifying. Um, could you imagine being the pilot and being like, whoa, look at that. <laughs> Too late. Can't turn out now. Uh, oh, that's horrifying. Lord. That's oh. absolutely horrifying. Uh, January 9th, the RMS Queen Elizabeth is destroyed by fire in Hong Kong Harbor. Did any, everybody was okay, right? It was, it wasn't. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't think that anybody died. Yeah, it was sabotage. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, probably. Yeah. It I, was, you know, I heard it was Queen Elizabeth. I Because she, she did she, not like that boat named after her. She, she had just put a really large insurance policy yep, on it. It was exactly. like, mm, yep. the coffers are getting low. Yeah. Well, she knew that Prince Philip was going to be a handful. <laughs> oh, so. God. Ugh. January 18th, The Night Stalker premieres on ABC. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. So The Night Stalker starts with Jeff Rice. Of course. Uh, who is Jeff Rice? I don't know. I literally could not find any information about Jeff Rice, except for the fact that he moved to Las Vegas in 1955 and lived there until his death in 2015. Good for him, man. That's awesome. That's a long time in Vegas. Yeah, but I, I, 
I, a guy that was able to write a movie and stuff and still yeah. stay under the radar and nobody knows who he is, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the film was based on the then-unpublished novel by Rice titled The Kolchak Papers, uh, also known as The Kolchak Tapes. Kolchak Tapes. Kolchak Tapes, which I think was the original uh the original title, and then he changed it when it got published. Uh, Rice said he wrote the novel because... I'd always wanted to write a vampire story, but more because I wanted to write something that involved Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, he literally just wanted to write a novel about Vegas. That's cool. I mean, there wasn't a ton of stuff about Vegas back then. No, I mean, because what, Vegas started in the early 50s? Yeah. Like, I mean, it hadn't been around that long when no. you moved there. No, it was, what was that mobster that started it? Bugsy uh, Siegel. Bugsy Siegel, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was sometime in the early 50s, late 40s, early 50s. He had a vision, Bugsy Siegel. Bought a bunch of land in the desert and then made a paradise. Well, yes. <laughs> well, Produce. in his mind, yeah. Uh, Rice had difficulty finding a publisher willing to buy the manuscript until agent Rick Ray read it and realized the novel would make a good movie. That's old Rick Ray for you. Yeah, that's all, <laughs> <laughs> old Rick. He was really good spotting those, <laughs> those novels. Never trust a man with two first names, Adam. Um, yeah. Rick Ray. You know what the worst is? Jimmy James. Yeah. I'm James James. Jimmy James. What kind of a jerk would name their kid James James, Jimmy James? I There's a lot of really, really, a lot of parents shouldn't be parents. That's true. <laughs> it's evidenced by the fact that they name their kids Jimmy James. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, so enter Richard Matheson to adapt the unpublished novel into a TV movie. Our Month's hero. Yes, it's our Matheson month. Oh, uh, Dickie Maths, as I call him. <laughs> Dickie Maths, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matheson had just come off having his short story Duel adapted into, t- into a TV movie by Steven Spielberg. Such a great movie. It's Fantastic. basically Jaws yeah. with a truck. Yeah. And uh, Dennis Weaver. Oh, oh yeah. Truck after me. It's such a good movie. It is. It's, it's excellent. St- I didn't see it until a few years ago. Oh, wow. For the first time. And, and it... It holds up. Oh, yeah. Like, it's amazing yeah. how good it is. It's great. Uh, Spielberg started in TV, did a lot of TV. Yeah. And, but this movie is what got him. Yeah, this put him on the map. Yeah. And then after that, it was Sugarland Express, baby. Oh, yeah. Movie yeah. nobody ever remembers with Goldie I don't Hall. think I've ever seen that. It's good. All right. Uh, and then he went into obscurity, and no one ever heard from Spielberg again. Right. Yes. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Duel was great because it actually uh, was based off of a real event that happened Richard Matheson in that he was at a gas station, and then this truck started following him, and it followed him for like two hours. But it wasn't – I don't think it was like intentional, but in his mind he was like, oh, sure. oh they're going to murder us. They're just going the same yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but anyway. Uh, well, truckers, man, I mean, there is that FBI theory. Mm-hmm. Of the trucker serial killer. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's several that have murdered hundreds of oh, people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that and was the, the guy we talked about um, at the beginning of the Only Murders in the Building episode, the the dude that got caught from yeah. Sacramento. He was a truck driver, yeah. and he was driving around killing people. Yeah, there's this theory. Uh, it's it's crazy. If you if you have a chance, look it up. But it's really like there's this interesting – I forget what it's called. There's a name for it. Oh, yeah. Or a name for this guy or this the group type, of people. The type yeah. of – killer or whatever apparently because it's just the perfect way to murder you you can just drift it doesn't matter you you kill somebody somewhere you you're in a different town thousand miles away just mix up mix up you know if you're in texas strangle if you're in washington (laughs) shoot you change your guns change up the mo yeah Yeah. you know when you're in portland use your knife it's like uh that um oh god that kevin costner movie the 
where he's the serial killer, but he's literally been like 15 different serial killers. Mr. Brooks? Mr. Brooks. Yeah. Uh, or whatever. It was just Mr. Brooks. Anyway. So. But there's a great movie. I love that movie. But the whole yeah. point, they had essentially implications that like he would change his MO like every three years. So yeah. that he could, he could keep getting away with it. Well, that that takes into a... F- that, the problem with that theory is that gives rational thought to impulse and compulsion. Right. And right. if you are a serial... We're, we're putting like, hey, this is a great way to... But usually... You're killing women that are like your mother. Yes. Or dudes that yes. are like your father. Or it, <laughs> these people are generally fictional. Yes, <laughs> they are exactly. not real because you do not have rational, lucid thought when you are driven to murder people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, so anyway. That's a bold stand, buddy. <laughs> I know. I am very anti murdering. We are against serial killers. Yeah. But we love serial killer movies. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Matheson had a long history of working in TV, most notably with The Twilight Zone from 1959 to 1964. Oh, such a great show. My sister, we would, um, on New Year, I think it was New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. Was it New Year's yeah, Day? They, they oh, every New Year's do? Day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They still do. Yeah. We used to, you know, she would be where she is and I would be where I am. We'd watch it, and we'd get on the phone. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, because we were both... She's such a huge fan of The Twilight Zone, more so than I. But I, I miss that show. I need to start watching it again. I, I, wanna... have, I have the entire series on DVD. Oh, don't tempt me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I, it's one of my favorite shows. I even have a, a guidebook that goes through every episode. Wow. Uh, the, the, the writer, how it came about. like all. It's fantastic. I even have uh, an original... Um, there was only 800 printed, but it's a bound copy of all of Richard Matheson's Twilight Zone scripts. Nice. It is the single best gift I was ever given by an ex's mother. I don't know how she figured out how to get it, but there was only 800 copies. I think I have like copy 793 or something, but hand signed by Richard Matheson. Holy moly. But it's, it is my pride and joy. Yeah. Uh, you got to take great. a picture. Put it on our socials. I will. I will. It's Share a, it. It's, it's so awesome. It's Share so awesome. your secret pride. <laughs> so he had 14 scripts produced for The Twilight Zone, eight of them being adapted from his own short stories. Nice. Uh, he created the famous Nightmare at 20,000 Feet with the original starring William Shatner before being adapted for the 1980 movie starring John Lithgow. Something on the wing yeah. of the plane. That was uh, on the wing of the plane. The best, the best was the, um, the, the original, the, the monster is like a dude essentially in like carpet that was sewn together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's so weird, but it's amazing. And Shatner was so good in it. He was, and so was Lithgow. Like his like, Fear face. Oh, yeah. It oh, was, yeah. Oh, God, that yeah. That was by Terror. far, hands down, the best part of, of, that, that of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that for sure. That part and the kid sending people to the cornfield was pretty good. Yeah. it's a, That movie was fine. I, I liked the one with him, the guy going back to, like, World War II or in, in like, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Nazi death camps and shit, like all that stuff. Like, yeah. it was interesting. I mean, the movie's interesting, but sure. definitely. It was well over, way overshadowed by the tragedy yes. that happened. Yes, unfortunately. And they should not have kept that sequence in the movie. They should I, have done a completely separate story. They should have just shot story something else, yeah. Because it was so distracting, and everybody's yeah. like, well, is this well, the part? Is this, this is the where part? This is, we're going to watch them die yeah, now. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's yeah. horrifying. Yeah. Uh, I, Interestingly enough, I didn't know this, uh, but in the 1982 movie version starring John Lithgow, uh, the monster was played by Larry Cedar from Deadwood, an active member of the Los Angeles theater community. He's actually close friends with a couple friends of ours. Interesting. Who did he play in Deadwood? Uh, he was um, – I don't remember. He was one of the, the townspeople. Like he, I, he had a, a, a smaller part, okay. but, uh, but he was on the whole show. Uh, right on. But he was great. If you saw a picture of him, you'd recognize him. 
I'm sure I he's, would. He's one of those character actors that's been around forever. But he played the monster, which I had no idea. It, it was super weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for him. Yeah. Uh, Matheson also contributed two scripts to the Alfred Hitchcock Hour and... Buckskin, Wanted Dead or Alive, Have Gun Will Travel, Bourbon Street Beat, Cheyenne, six episodes of Lawman, Thriller, Combat, The Girl from Uncle. I guess that was a spinoff of The Man from Uncle? The Man from Uncle, yeah. And an episode of Star Trek, the original series, The Enemy Within. Yeah, in, <laughs> in the Star Trek episode, while beaming up from planet Alpha 177, a transporter malfunction causes Captain Kirk to be split into two people, one good but indecisive and ineffectual, the other evil, impulsive, and irrational. And the evil had a goatee, which started the whole... <laughs> yes. <laughs> goatee as evil... Yeah, it, it 100%. I mean, it's 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 weird. I just had no idea he wrote it. How can we tell which one's the real <laughs> Captain Kirk? He's got a goddamn goatee. <laughs> <laughs> when have I ever had facial hair? <laughs> uh, so the TV movie, The Night Stalker, was produced by Dan Curtis. Curtis is most well-known as the creator of Dark Shadows, the gothic soap opera that ran from 1966 to 1971. Is he the same guy that uh, hosts the... Dan Curtis hosts the like TMC movie thing, or is that a different guy? I think it's a different guy. Probably. I don't think so. I don't have that information, but I don't think so. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure. He's pretty not. sure that Dan Curtis is dead. Okay. Um, Curtis would direct 20 episodes of the 1,225 episodes produced of Dark Shadows. Good lord. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize that Dark Shadows was a daily thing. Oh yeah. I thought it was a weekly thing, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna start watching some before we do this episode. No. <laughs> No. Uh, too many. Way too many. Cool, though, that there was like a, a horror... Like a horror daytime soap. Soap, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the show became really successful because it was on in the afternoon and kids in high school would come home and watch it. Yeah, because they had vampies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he would direct the 1970 feature House of Dark Shadows based on the television show and its sequel Night of Dark Shadows in 1971. Morning of Dark Shadows. That was the third one, but... Everybody would be dead. Didn't get vampires, made. Yeah. Yeah, it, was it was 30, a short, 30 short seconds movie, yeah. long. Uh, Dan Curtis only directed three theatrical features, those first two Dark Shadows movies, and Burnt Offerings in 1976, starring Karen Black, Oliver Reed, Betty Davis, and Burgess Meredith. Oh, my God. I love that movie so much. I love I've that movie so much. I've never seen it. Oh, it is effed up, man. Oh, yeah? Oh, you want to see... Uh, you want to see Karen Black play Looney Bananas. Oh, yeah? So well. She has that crazy eye, too, so he even helps. Nice. And I'm a... When I was a kid, I was a huge Oliver Reed fan. No, oh, yeah. I loved him from uh, Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a movie about him. It was based on you know, the, the orphan right, boy. Right. Oliver Twist. Yes. yes. Thank you. Um, but he was just this awesome English actor that for some reason I glommed onto. So I'd watch whatever he did. Right. And way too young, I watched Burn Offerings. Nice. Um, nice. Oliver Reed, he was the one that uh, was in Gladiator and drank himself to yes, death, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, He was one of those old school Richard Burton, you know, hang yes. out with the old. Yes. We just hang out and drink more, more, more. We need ten bottles of bourbon. Yeah. To drink after our martinis. <laughs> <laughs> but another one of those workhorse alcoholics that was a professional. Yeah, he, he yeah. He would still food. show up on time regardless yeah. of what All he drank. All these guys the were luscious to the yeah. nth degree, but they were pros. They were a, they were functional alcoholics, man. <laughs> it's like old Dickie Burton. Dare to dream, baby. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, no, I loved him in this movie. And and I, the only thing I really remember now is I him like flying out of the window and dying. Because oh, oh, it's wow. this whole thing about... Like a dead child or something. Like they, they had a dead child and 
the house. It was just this super creeps thing. And Karen Black is so good at playing nuts. I'm gonna have to check it. I'll find it. Well, we're gonna it do it. We'll yeah. do it because this wasn't. A, this was a theatrical movie. Yeah, right? it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought it was a TV movie because I only saw it on TV. Right, right. But we, you know, we. No, it had do, a theat- yeah, it had a the- theatrical release. Yeah, like these seventies. We got to do like a seventies Satan month. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Satan in the seventies. <laughs> well. We'll put it on the board. Uh, Curtis's real bread and butter was made for television movies and eventually miniseries. Oh, gotta love them. Oh, yeah. Curtis was producer and or director of a number of television adaptations of classic horror texts, including The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1968, Frankenstein in 1973, The Picture of Dorian Gray in 73, Dracula in 1974, with a script adapted from Stoker's novel by Matheson starring Jack Palance as Dracula. Yes. I'm Dracula, and I'm going to suck your blood. He's doing a lot of one-handed push-ups. He's I the just, biggest breather. Yeah, oh yeah. He was a big yeah. breather, that guy. And and the, tr- uh, and the Turn of the Screw in 1974, starring Lynn Redgrave. Ooh, I love yeah. Lynn Redgrave. Yeah. Uh, he did Scream of the Wolf in 1974, starring Peter Graves and Clint Walker. Yeah. And... Trilogy of Terror, the 1975 anthology movie with three segments based on Richard Matheson's short stories. Oh, there's and only one good one. Yes, this is the one with the little Zuni doll that tries to kill Karen Black. Oh, God, I love Karen Black so much. That little sequence is so awesome. It yeah. scared the bejesus out of me. My sister and I both, she more than me. I told you about this movie that I can't remember about mm-hmm. the little people under the stairs. Yeah. Gotta get her, 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 gotta get her. And it scared the crap out of my sister to the point where when she was going to her room... She would launch herself <laughs> from the doorway onto the bed. Oh, yeah, that's right. Without yeah, having yeah, to yeah. touch anything, which I also followed suit because, you know, yeah, whatever she did, I did. So I got scared, yeah. too. But uh, but we both, oh, man, I remember us watching this and just being like, oh, Creep City. Oh, yeah. Uh, he also did Curse of the Black Widow in 1977, starring Tony Franciosa, uh, Donna Mills, Patty Duke, Vic Morrow, and June Allison. Nice. Poor uh, Vic Morrow. Yeah, I know. Uh, Dead of Night, 1975 or 1977, an anthology horror film. Uh, his 1983 miniseries, The Winds of War, was nominated for four Emmy Awards. Yeah, it was epic. It, it was big. Uh, he also directed the War and Remembrance miniseries, which was the continuation of The Winds of War. Yes. War and Remembrance is the one we talked about uh, last week. The program was 30 hours in length, split into two segments. Chapters 1 through 7 aired in November of 1988. The remaining five parts, chapters 8 through 12, were billed as the final chapter and aired in May 1989. Yeah, I remember that. It's crazy. Um, 30 Hours is not a miniseries anymore. It's a series. <laughs> the miniseries received 15 Emmy Award nominations, including four... Best Actor, John Gilgood. Actress, Jane Seymour. Supporting Actor, Barry Bostwick. And Supporting Actress, Polly Bergen. Polly Bergen's a great actress. Ooh, John Gilgood. Oh, and yeah. Sir John... Sir John. Uh, yeah. Arthur, if you want to see the funniest thing ever, <laughs> yeah. should I wash your dick, sir? Um, pardon <laughs> me. So but, great. Oh, God, I love John Gilgood. He's great. So the show won Emmys for Best Miniseries, Special Effects, and Single Camera Production Editing. Uh, Curtis died on March 27, 2006 at his home in Brentwood, 20 days after the death of his wife, Norma. That's so weird how that happens sometimes. That does. does. Uh, they were married for a very long time. I think you talk about codependent. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you literally can't I, live without. I the can't other live person. without you. Bye bye. Yeah, a lot of people find that romantic. <laughs> I find it a little psychologically suspect. <laughs> Sometimes it just happens. Okay. Yeah. Dan Curtis asked veteran TV director John Llewellyn Moxie to direct the film. You know why? Why? Because he said he got Moxie, Moxie. kid. 
Jeez. Wow. Walked right into that one. You did. Uh, Moxie's feature film directorial debut was The City of the Dead, also known as Horror Hotel in 1960. Honey, I got us a reservation. It was very cheap, but the name of the hotel is called Horror Hotel. Well, dear, we are going to the City of the Dead. Okay. <laughs> to go, vi- to is- go visit your mother. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also directed the film Circus of Fear in 1966. Nice. Which, you know, if you're in the City of the Dead and you're staying at the Horror Hotel, you go to the Circus of Fear. Yeah, it's, it's part of a package deal. It's, part, it's of the deal. part of the tour. <laughs> For much of his career, he focused on directing television, including episodes of the British series Man of the World, the Edgar Wallace Mysteries. Armchair Theater, The Baron, The Saint, The Avenger, And the American series... Judd for the Defiance. Hawaii Five-O, Mission Impossible, Maddox, Kung Fu, Miami Vice, Magnum P.I., Murder, She Wrote, and the pilot episode of Charlie's Angels. Yeah, he, he was a go-to for pretty much everybody. Oh, he business. was great. He yeah. was a great TV director. Yeah. Um, Judd for the Defense. Yeah. It was... Uh, I don't remember that one. Um, oh no! Is it one? Of, we'll talk about it a little bit. One of the actors in this was in Judge for the Defense. Um, armchair theater was uh, really boring because it was just <laughs> basically a couple of guys in armchairs uh, chatting. Well, no, they would try to do these plays, <laughs> but there was no blocking. Yeah, they were well, just sitting that's armchairs. literally just called a reading. It's very lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he also directed a number of television films, including A Taste of Evil in 1971, starring Barbara Stanwyck and Roddy McDowell. Yeah, that was the sequel to A Touch of Evil, <laughs> and then there was the other sequel, The Smell of Evil. Oh yeah, it's rank. <laughs> and the sight of evil, and and the feel of evil. Feel of isn't that the touch of evil? Yes. Well, but so that's the other touch. Oh, the taste. taste. No, we already had that. Yeah. Touch, taste. Yeah, you got all of them. Okay. I did. Wow. Five senses. Okay. Well, you're thinking of the sixth sense. Yeah. <laughs> seeing dead people. Which is the seeing dead people of evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Home for the Holidays in 1972, a slasher film produced by Aaron Spelling and starring Sally Field. Yeah. They were going to call it Home for the Holidays. <laughs> Decided not to. That would be fantastic. That's what we're if making. If there's not a movie called Home for the Holidays, then there needs to be. Let's do it. Uh, Genesis 2 in 1973, not a sequel to the first book in the Bible. It was a science fiction film produced by Gene Roddenberry. It wasn't a do-over? <laughs> All right, guys, come back into the garden. Take off those leaves. Let's give it one more shot. But if you have another apple, you're out. And everybody after you's out. Damn it, are you eating an apple right now? <laughs> this lasted all of 10 seconds. Yes, Good get job. Get out. Just get out. Uh, where have all the people gone in 1974, starting Peter Graves? Peter Graves, where are all the people? Yeah. Where have they gone? <laughs> where have they gone? They went to the movies. Uh, they they did. went to see Star Wars. Uh, no Place to Hide in 1981, and Desire the Vampire in 1982. Uh, Not to be confused with Desiree the Vampire. No, no. Which was a much different movie. Uh, Desire the Vampire is also known as I Vampire. Uh, the really amazing thing is that literally all of these movies that we've talked about, you can watch on YouTube for free. Nice. They are all on YouTube. Well, we should make a day of it. And pretty good quality, too. It's really surprising. Nice. Yeah, we got. Re- we should give a shout-out to the yeah. YouTube channel that we watched. Oh, my God. It, it, we tried watching uh, uh, The Night, Night Stalker. Stalker on like some channel, and it looked like crap. Oh, yeah, it was, it was like terrible. If, it was like watching it on... A VCR that somebody just just took the tracking and went, whoosh, and it was you couldn't tell anything that was going on. Um, hold on, I'm going to look up the the company because I think it was Classic Film Watch, but I, I just want to make sure because you're right. Because at the end of the day, the uh, 
the the print for the Night Stalker on YouTube through this channel was incredible. It was impeccable. It, it was, was absolutely impeccable. Absolutely amazing. I mean, it looked like a Blu-ray transfer. It didn't, and it's not on Blu-ray or anything. It's not available. Oh, sorry. The the channel is called No Real Order. No Real Order. Look them up. They have a ton of every thousand subscribers. He does like one of these restorations. Yeah. And and it is. So I shouldn't say he, they, I don't yeah. know who it is. They do this restoration stuff and it is so good. It oh my God. So good. It was, it was better, probably better quality than when it actually aired. Yeah. Yeah. It was really impressive. Good job guys. Uh, Moxie retired to the Puget sound area in 2007 and passed in 2019 at the age of 92. Not bad. Yeah. He had a really long career. He sure did. Cause he had a lot of Moxie at him. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so the cast, Darren McGavin is Carl Kolchak. Yeah. Darren McGavin. He's so great. McGavin began his career working as a set painter for Columbia Pictures. He looks like a set painter for Columbia Pictures. He does. I can just see him with the paint on his face and his overalls, drinking a beer. <laughs> that kind of weird little smile he has. Hey, guys. Hey. You want to come join me? I'm having a beer. Uh, he started in theater, appearing in eight Broadway productions between 1954 and 1967. Nice. Uh, yeah, I had no idea he was a broadway actor well yeah well this was the time too that you didn't have to be handsome to be an, a leading man right you just had right. to be charismatic you, just, you had to be good and yeah. no offense to mr mcgavin but he's not a you know he, he's, he's a goof he's an everyman like he's he yeah he is so good in a christmas story oh my Ooh. god oh my god he's anyway. so good uh in 1955 mcgavin starred in the feature film summertime opposite Catherine hepburn and directed by david lean oh as, it's summertime <laughs> as well as the feature the man with the golden arm with dean martin and kim novak directed by otto preminger Ooh. yeah uh, on television, McGavin portrayed the title character in Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer from 58 to 59 and starred in Riverboat from 59 to 61. Right on. Yeah. In 1971, just prior to starring in The Night Stalker, McGavin made guest appearances in Banyan, Cades County, and The Bold Ones, The Lawyers. Uh, so McGavin would go on to star in films like Airport 77 in 1977. Oh, so great. If you're interested in that, we talked about it in our disasters. We did. We did. Look up our disaster film episode. Uh, he did A Christmas Story in 1983. Yeah, um, Which is the, I, this is what I knew him from. That's uh, what everybody knows yeah, him from. Yeah, And The Natural in 1984. Uh, he would continue work in TV, starring in The Martian Chronicles in 1980, based on the novel by Ray Bradbury. I remember when that came out. That was such a big deal. He had the goofiest cowboy outfit <laughs> in that. <laughs> yeah, but the anticipation for that movie was insane. It, I love the book. The book is so incredible. And, and it, not that the, the TV movie was bad. It just didn't it really good. capture the, the book. You're being nice. Yeah. Uh, Murphy Brown, where he was nominated for an Emmy for his five-episode guest appearances. Yeah, Murphy Brown was a great show. It was, uh, it was powerhouse. And making a two-episode guest appearance on The X-Files, which we will talk about in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> McGavin died on February 25th, 2006 of cardiovascular disease in a Los Angeles hospital at the age of 83. Not bad. He is interred at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yeah, go give him a visit. Go, go say hi. Go say, hey, I really like Kolchak. I didn't realize it was so long ago. I, I, I for some reason, thought it was in the teens, like, that he died. No, because he was in his 40s when I mean, he was yeah. doing yeah. Kolchak. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Carol Lindley was cast as Gail Foster, his paramour in, oh in the movie. <laughs> Lindley had first appeared on a local television show at the age of 14, and she was 
uh, signed as a child model. And that's actually when they signed her onto Kolchak. She was 14. <laughs> she, and they're like, that's the perfect age no, for his love interest. No. No? <laughs> she just looks young. Right. She's not actually young. She's uh, a lot younger than him. I, not disagreeing. Uh, she then appeared on live TV shows, the Goodyear Television Playhouse, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and Danger Roped. Lindley started her film career in 1958 with the Disney film The Light in the Forest, followed by Holiday for Lovers in 1959, of which she was most likely way too young to be in at that time. Oh. In 1959, she was nominated for the Golden Globe Award for Most Promising Newcomer Female. Okay. And in how amazingly pointless the Golden Globe Awards are, in 1960, she was again nominated for the Golden Globe Award for Most Promising Newcomer Female for the film Blue Denim. Yeah, well, I guess she was still... How do you get nominated for Best Newcomer of the Year two years in a row? Look, the Hollywood Foreign Press... (laughs) Is a bogus institution. It is a joke. And it's never been. A Golden Globe is basically the same thing as getting a popularity award in high school. Of course. It means nothing. Yeah, popular award from 93 dudes who would you would never talk to. In, and up until way. like two years ago, it was the most racist <laughs> awards organization. It they didn't was, have any black members of their it was, board. It was just a way for people to go, for celebrities to go get really drunk and, and be okay with it. Sure, in a way for the to ingratiate themselves and get of more yeah. closer to yeah. the thing. It was all it was just all PR crap still is. Yeah, garbage. it still is. Yeah. Lindley appeared in many films, often portraying the blonde girl next door gone bad. Ooh. Yeah. She's best known for her film roles in Return to Peyton Place in 1961, the sex comedy Under the Yum Yum Tree in 1963. Everything about that is just wrong. <laughs> that is the grossest title I've ever heard. It sounds like something that some gross pre- Yes, come with me under the yum yum tree. Oh God! No, bring your little friend. Is it? Wait, is it? Is it Truman Capote? Yeah, (laughs) it's Truman Capote's brother. Uh, Roman Capote. You're giving me chills. Come to the yum yum tree. Uh, Also, in 1963, she was in the drama The Cardinal and the romantic drama The Pleasure Seekers in 1964. The Hollywood Reporter reported that Lindley was on the peak of her career in the year 1965. That same year, she posed nude at the age of 22 for the March 1965 edition of Playboy magazine. She also starred that same year in the Otto Perringer-directed thriller Bunny Lake is Missing. Bunny Lake is Missing! (laughs) Unfortunately, her string of movies over the next seven years would be duds. Oh. Yeah. uh, She did not, every movie she did was in, did not do well. In 1972, as well as starring in The Night Stalker, she appeared in The Poseidon Adventure, in which she lip-synced the Oscar-winning song The Morning After. There's got to be... Uh, her singing voice was dubbed by Jim uh, for the movie. You know, no, it, it was Renee Armand. That song was played at every graduation. I, yes. At my sister's graduation, yeah. they sang that song. There's going to be the morning after. Uh, please, please, please go listen to our <laughs> our, our, um, our disaster, disaster episode movie, and oh. you can hear Jim sing the entire song. It's oh, yeah. It's beautiful. And we actually go through the disasters. We do. It's it, really fun. You know, it's a very unique. We have three unique episodes that you should listen to. Love yes. Boat. Yeah. The Disaster Movie and Buck Rogers, Rogers in the 25th Century. Hey, Buck Rogers. Be a treat. Yeah, it'd treat be for us. They're but fun. Maybe not for you, but for us, it'll be a treat. <laughs> They're fun. They're fun. Uh, the Poseidon Adventure was the highest-grossing film of that year, uh, so supposedly breaking her string of duds. Well, uh, it was an ensemble piece. It was, yes. And I think she died in it, didn't she? Yeah, I'm pretty sure she did. Yeah, she got drowned. Almost everyone died in that movie, yes. especially yes, the, I, the I Mad Preacher. Got, yeah, I'm the Mad Preacher. Oh, such a great movie. It is too. I'm. I'm skinny in the water. 
<laughs> she would later appear in the pilot of Fantasy Island in 1977. Smiles! Smiles, everyone. Yeah. Smiles, oh. tattoo. This is Mrs. Johnson. Sheriff's <laughs> fantasy is to not be a housewife for five minutes. Well, hey, well. Boss, that sounds really strange. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Her many other series appearances include... The Big Valley, Mannix, It Takes a Thief, Night Gallery, The Invaders, Kojak, Hawaii Five-O, Tales of the Unexpected, Heart to Heart, and Charlie's Angels. She had problems getting roles as she grew older, a problem many aging actresses have. Yeah, because Hollywood's a bunch of dicks. Yes. Uh, she was convinced that she was just waiting for the right part Aww. and that she was going to have a, a, like a third act. Uh, unfortunately, in 2019, she passed from a heart attack, her comeback having never happened. Yeah, you're 28 now. Yeah. It's time for you to fade <laughs> into the background. Maybe we can get you some grandma parts. <sighs> It's, yeah, it's it's really it's disgusting. Hawaii, Hawaii. Uh, sorry. Oh, yeah, Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently I just look at words and I read them. <laughs> Hollywood is just awful that way. It like, is. Yeah. Uh, you, go from, you go from being the, the cute girlfriend to being a senator to being the grandma. That's why you got to be Sigourney Weaver, baby. Badass yeah. from front uh, to back. Yeah. Just yeah. saw her in a movie, uh, Call Jane. Man, her performance in that is just awesome. And there's this great scene with her and this doctor where they're like playing this truth or dare game. He to- he's a young boy, yeah, and he wants to totally get with her. And it's just so. Ah, let's do our stepdad show if you want to hear about. Uh, yeah, call Jane. But uh, I call Jane sounds great. I am really excited about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Simon Oakland was cast as Tony Vincenzo. Tony Vincenzo. <laughs> He's definitely in Vegas. Hey. Uh, during his career, Oakland performed primarily on television, appearing in over 130 series and made-for-television movies between 1951 and 1983. Hey, you know why? Because I'm Tony Vincenzo. Yeah. His most notable big-screen roles were in Psycho in 1960, West Side Story in 1961, Bullet in 68, and The Hunting Party in 1971. Oh, really great movies. Bullet is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Uh, psycho is one of my favorites. Psycho is one of mine, too. Hey, you're a psycho. Hey, look at that guy. I think he's a psycho. <laughs> That's literally a quote from the movie. Yeah. Hey. He also appeared in two episodes of the original Twilight Zone TV series and in The Outer Limits as the alien Birdman in the episode Second Chance. I'm Birdman. I'm asking for a second chance. <laughs> I didn't mean to poop on you, but I am a Birdman. It is in my nature. Please, give me a second chance. <laughs> During the 1970s, Oakland appeared in multiple episodes of The Rockford Files, three times as blustery private detective Vern St. Cloud, a nemesis slash antagonist for Jim Rockford. Oh, he was so good. The Rockford Files is one of my favorite TV shows ever. We yeah. try to do a rewatching every few years. And he nobody does like put out yeah. better than yeah. James Garner. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. St. Cloud was such an insufferable pain in his ass. <laughs> this, you know, this other, come on, Jim. You got to help me out, Jim. And uh, and it was just like, it was the chemistry between those guys were amazing. Nice. And it was so fun to see him in this movie. It's been a really long time since I've seen this movie. I forgot he was in it. But he, but to see him play something other than like right. an a-hole. Right, or, right, you know, right, right. He was great. Yeah. Such a great underrated you know, uh, character actor. Oh, yeah. Absolutely yeah. one of my favorites. Uh, Oakland continued working up to the year of his death. His last credited acting appearance was in the episode Living and Presumed Dead on the CBS television series Tucker's Witch. Hey, I'm living, but you thought I was dead. <laughs> well, that episode aired three months before Oakland's death from colon cancer in Cathedral City, California on August 29th, 1983, the day after his 68th birthday. Oh, what a horrible birthday present. Yeah, colon cancer sucks. All cancer sucks. Yeah. I'm saying it. 
Bold stance, Jim. Yeah. F cancer. F, yeah. F cancer, seriously. Yeah, seriously. It's, it's crap. Uh, Ralph Meeker was cast as Bernie Jenks. I'm Ralph Meeker playing Bernie Jenks. He, he first rose to prominence for his role in the Broadway production of Mr. Roberts from 1948 to 1951, earning him a Theater World Award for his performance. In film, Meeker is best, uh, perhaps best known for his portrayal of Mike Hammer in Robert Aldrich's 1955 Kiss Me Deadly. Kiss Me Deadly. Uh, with the irony being that there's two people in this movie that portrayed Mike Hammer. Yeah. Uh, because Mike Hammer is amazing. <laughs> Mike Hammer has a great name. Mike Hammer has to be a detective because his name is Mike Hammer. Hey, I'm going to drop the hammer on you. Because <laughs> okay. I'm Mike Hammer. Mark Hammer? <laughs> I'm Mike Hammer's brother, Mark Hammer. Yeah, Mark Hammer. I dropped the hammer for Mike. Uh, Meeker went on to play a series of roles that used his husky and macho screen presence, including a lead role in Stanley Kubrick's military courtroom drama Paths of Glory in 1957, as a troubled mechanic opposite Carol Baker in Something Wild in 1961, as a World War II captain in The Dirty Dozen in 1967, and in the gangster film The St. Valentine's Day Massacre, also in 1967. All great movies. The Dirty Dozen is one of my absolute favorite war movies ever Oh, made. yeah. Of course. It is so much fun. I'm so surprised they haven't remade that. And I'm so glad. I, yeah, actually, I'm glad they haven't. But, yeah. oh, man, you got Telly Savalas, you got John Cassavetes, Jim Brown, Ernest Borgnine, Charles Bronson, Pally. Oh, yeah, Charlie Bronson. Oh, it's, Jekyll. A, it's such a great movie. George Kennedy. <laughs> and Trini Lopez. Nice. Ralph Meeker, Robert Ryan, Telly Savalas. It's a, it's a little early for for us, for, for the Gen X. No. But we're definitely going to cover it. We're going to do it's, it was movies a, my stepdad made me watch. It, yeah. And it, this it was on TV all the time. In the oh, 70s. my God. But it was got, it's got Donald Sutherland. Yeah, it's great. It's a great movie. Ugh, uh, but yeah, that's a, I like that. That's a good good concept. The movie's my stepdad made me yeah. yeah. We'll do that. We'll do uh, uh, Deliverance. And we'll do the Balachi Papers. Nice. Nice. In 1980, he suffered a severe stroke, which forced him to retire from acting. Oh. Yeah. His health steadily declined, punctuated by several more strokes. He spent the last year of his life in the motion picture and television country house and hospital in Los Angeles and died there, age 67, of a heart attack. So many of these older actors died in the this, yeah. home. This. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, I. you know, I, I guess this is the benefit of the union. I mean, they're like, hey, you're getting old and you are you need help, so come come here and we'll help you. So many of these guys died in their late 60s. It's like, I... Well, there was a lot of smoking and drinking and red <laughs> meat. True. True. You know, it wasn't a very healthy lifestyle back then. <laughs> If you made it to 60, that was a good, you know, life expectancy was pretty low. Right, right. Uh, Claude Akins was cast as Sheriff Warren A. Butcher. He was best known as Sheriff Lobo in the 1979-81 television series BJ and the Bear. I want Sheriff Lobo. <laughs> and later, The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo, a spinoff series. Watched them both. Loved BJ and the Bear. Loved oh, that yeah. monkey and Greg Evigan. <laughs> and Sheriff Lobo was problem. <laughs> he's, he was great in this oh, movie. He's, Chet, Claude Akins is great in everything. Yeah, he's just yeah. got this weird round head, and he's just yeah. got this look that is so different. It's Yeah, it's very weird. But he's uh, so likable, too, but yeah, even when he's playing a bad guy. He's charming. He's very charming. Very much. He appeared in the Twilight Zone episode, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Monsters uh, Are Due on Maple Street. Everybody uh, get inside. <laughs> It was one of my favorite episodes of Twilight Zone. Oh, it's great. Because um, it's, it's so applic- applicable to today. Because nothing happens, but everyone is so freaked out and paranoid that they assume something's going to happen. Yes, we have a lot yeah. of chicken littles Yeah, today. The chicken little party. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna buzz through a couple of the other supporting actors before we get to Barry Atwater. Yeah, uh, Alicia Cook Jr. Elijah. Elisha. Elisha. Oh, yeah. Okay. Elisha Cook Jr. is Mickey Crawford. Uh, Cook appeared in a total of 21 films noir, more than any other actor or actress. He played cheerful, brainy collegiates until he was cast against type as the bug-eyed, baby-faced, psychopathic killer Wilmer Cook in the 1941 version of The Maltese Falcon. And don't forget, his very, very, very best role that he played on Magnum P.I. Oh, yeah. As Rick, uh, Rick on Magnum P.I.'s uh, mob, because there's a lot of mob in Hawaii yeah, at the time. Yeah, sure. A lot of mob in sure. Hawaii. Well, they, he had, was, they, had a, they had a, you know. He was Ice Pick. And Ice Pick was, they didn't show him for a while, but then they got Elijah Cook, and he was just so eerily menacing as a little old man as Ice Pick. Oh, but, really? Oh, oh, oh wow. Oh, is wow. he good. He's got such an interesting look. He looks like a giant child. Yeah. He's, yeah. They, all, the, all these supporting actors had such peculiar, interesting looks to them. Well, that's what made him character actors. Yeah. And, yeah. But he was just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was amazing. He was great in this, too. Uh, Stanley Adams was cast as Fred Hurley. Fred uh, Hurley. Adams was the Tribble salesman in the Star Trek episode, The Trouble of Tribbles. Trouble of Tribbles. Let me tell you about a Tribble. I'm going to give you this Tribble, Captain Kirk. You're going to love it. It's good like a pet. You're going to touch it. You're going to love it. You're going to teach it. He was another one of those that was in everything uh, over the, the 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. Everything. It was great to be a character actor back then because you would work constantly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Larry Linville was cast as Robert, Dr. Robert McCurgy. Yes. Uh, Linville was best known for his portrayal of the surgeon Major Frank Burns on the television series MASH. Nobody played insipid better than Larry Linville. Yeah. He was so... And that's the only word to use for him in MASH. Yeah. He was just such a little lickspittle. And the way that he... Ooh, the, he and Hot Lips Houlihan... That was such an amazing dynamic. And it's the show. MASH was a great show for three years. Yeah. MASH was great when Larry Linville was on it before. And, and no no disrespect to my man, uh, Charles Emerson Winchester. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but, man. And also, the guy before Beej, uh, the, the Hawkeye's best friend oh, 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 before yeah. uh, the other guy came on. It was so much fun until it wasn't. Then it was just. <laughs> and then it was just <laughs> Alan Alda. Let me tell you about things that bother me today, and I'm going to do it in the fifties. Yeah, it's crazy. So Barry Outwater was cast as Janusz Skorzen, Skorzini. Sorry, Janusz Skorzini, uh, the vampire, the the killer in in the movie. Janusz Skorzini. Janusz, yeah, he's he was Eastern European in some way, as most vampires are. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, in 1960, he starred with Claude Akins in the Twilight Zone episode, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. The Monsters Are on Maple Street. Yeah. Yes, they are. <laughs> I'm a monster. Bleh. <laughs> Atwater is one of the few actors to play a character from Spock's planet on Star Trek, the original series, portraying Surak, father of Vulcan philosophy, in the episode The Savage Curtain. Oh, yeah. He was great. Yeah, he's oh, he was yeah, he's a great actor. Uh, he could not achieve the Vulcan salute naturally, so when he bids farewell in a medium shot, he has to first lower his arm so his hand is out of camera view as he pushes his finger against his body to configure them properly, and then do the Vulcan salute. Goober. Yeah, his appearance in the Night Soccer made him po a popular guest in 1970s fan gatherings that capitalized on the resurgence of classic horror during that decade. Bleh. Yeah. So the movie was shot for a budget of $450,000 over 12 days. Damn, that's quick. So fast. Uh, the original script by Richard Matheson called for Carl Kolchak to be dressed in Bermuda shorts and wearing an Aloha shirt. Okay. Uh, actor Darren McGavin said, That doesn't sound like anyone I know. 
and decided to use a different wardrobe. While reading up on the character, McGavin noted that Kolchak had been fired from a New York newspaper years before and thought, That's it! I haven't bought a new suit since! There you go. So Kol- Kolchak appeared in a circa 1950s suit. A seersucker suit. And wearing a straw hat. Yeah, he looked like he was going to his uh, barbershop quartet practice. It was just so funny because he so sticks out from everybody else. Yeah, and he's got that big old tape recorder. Oh, yeah, yeah. While filming in Las Vegas, uh, producer Dan Curtis was amazed at how oblivious the casino gamblers were to any events going on around them other than gambling. You think? I I know, I know. So as a joke one day, Barry Atwater was asked to walk through the Saharas Casino in full costume and makeup to see if anyone noticed him. He did this for over 40 minutes and didn't get a second glance from anyone. He was going, Bray, Bray, look at me, I'm a vampire, Bray, Bray, A-U, Bray, double down, I can just see Split. someone not even looking up from their, their uh, slot machine going, well, it's a good thing you're inside here. Uh, funny, <laughs> no, uh, no sunlight inside. Bray, oh, Bray. Uh, Atwater was given red contact lenses for his role as the vampire. After wearing them for long periods, his eyes became very sensitive. As a result, he did not need the contact lenses to make his eyes look red in later scenes. Yeah, thanks for permanently damaging my eyes, guys. That sucks. Oh, yeah, well, that's just like uh, the Omega Man you know, with those nasty yeah. Yeah, contact they lenses. They were not. It's so funny, too, because now contact lenses, like the fake contact lenses, are, are so much easier on your mm-hmm. eyes. And, God, back in the day. Well, they were just chunks of glass. Awful. They were awful. real thick. Yeah. They weren't. They didn't do it. You know, there was just, there wasn't a lot of safety for people. No, no, they would, you no. know, like they would put lead based paints on people. Yeah. And well, that was the, the, uh, Margaret, w- the, the witch from the Wizard of Oz. Well, also, the woman from yeah. Goldfinger almost died from having that yeah. paint. Sorry. And it, sorry, it wasn't, it wasn't the witch. It was, uh, the dude played the Tin Man. Yeah. He, he almost, almost died. died too. Yeah. Yeah. From the silver paint. <laughs> Don't use literally getting paint. slapped with lead. <laughs> Your body can't breathe. Yeah, yeah. it was. It, yeah, it was bad. Yeah. Uh, at a test screening, the audience reaction was so positive that producer Dan Curtis regretted not releasing it as a theatrical feature film. It could have been. It was. It was different. You know the Stephen King story, The Night Flyer. Yeah, I think that is based. It's an it, homage it's to definitely, the Night Stalker. Definitely inspired by this. because it's a yeah. tabloid reporter yeah. following this vampire right. as he flies from place to place. Right. It's definitely got that cool check. Feel oh yeah, to it. oh yeah. yeah. It's a that was a the, the TV movie that was really great too. It was, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that Stephen King was also because I I want to say I think that Salem's Lot came out after this. It, yeah, it did in like seventy four. I think so. I think, yeah. I, it could have very much been inspired by this. Uh, the Night Soccer became the highest rated original TV movie on U.S. television, earning a thirty three point two rating and forty eight share. Okay, that is insane. That means that. Tens of millions of people were watching that show. Yes. It was the highest rated TV movie ever up yeah. to that point. Well, and you're talking about 60, 70 million people because nobody had, you had three right, choices. Right, right, You didn't have a million things on the internet or whatever. You could put your eight tracks in yeah. or you could listen to your albums or you could watch TV or you could read. Yeah. 48% of the country that was watching TV at the time was watching this TV movie. Insane. That's, that's crazy. The TV movie did so well, it was released overseas as a theatrical movie and inspired a sequel TV movie called The Night Strangler. Night Strangler. Which aired on January 16th, 1973, a little less than a year later. Sure. The 1973 novel, renamed The Night Stalker, no longer the Kolchak Papers or the Kolchak Tapes, wasn't published until after the TV movie had already aired and was delayed, according to Rice, because the publisher wanted both Rice's original novel and the 1974 sequel, The Night Strangler, written by Rice, but based on the screenplay by author Richard Matheson. 
So? They could be placed on the top of the publisher's list in the one and two positions for 1974. I just found it really interesting that... The first movie is based on a novel by him, and then the second movie is an original screenplay that he then had to adapt into a novel. There's Richard, yeah. Richard Matheson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just interesting that it was like, you know, it's like, oh, hey, okay. Things were wacky back then. It was weird. It was a weird time. Uh, the Night Strangle proved almost as popular as its predecessor, garnering strong ratings and eventually prompting ABC to order a TV series. Neither writer Richard Matheson nor producer-director Dan Curtis were involved in the TV series. No. Uh, in the United States, the TV movie ran without commercials approximately 74 minutes. ABC, but they ran with commercials when it Of aired, course it did, yeah. yeah. ABC planned to release the film overseas as a theatrical release and had additional footage shot rounding out the movie to 90 minutes. Yeah, the other uh, 16 minutes were just the shots of him walking around the casino and everybody, nobody paying <laughs> so attention. So much, so much. <laughs> uh, a third film was planned based on a story by Richard Matheson, but completed by science fiction and horror novelist William F. Nolan. The two share credit on the unproduced script. The third film was set aside when ABC elected to order the television series and have it produced by Universal. None of the original participants, aside from actors Darren McGavin and Simon Oakland, appeared in the television series. Oh, nice. So McGavin was in the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Titled The Night Killers and set in Honolulu, Hawaii, the script, the third movie that was never made, the script had Tony Vincenzo hiring Kolchak to work for him. Kolchak, I'm going to hire you to work for me. Tony Uh, Vincenzo. Once again, Kolchak discovers a a cover-up, this time involving a mysterious UFO, a nuclear power plant, and important people being murdered and replaced by androids. All right, listen to me. I know this is going to sound crazy, but they're androids. Okay, it does sound crazy. (laughs) This has something to do with aliens and the nuclear power plant and then robots. A lot of robots. Kolchak ties all this together, believing that the aliens on the UFO land on Earth intending to set up a colony and replacing key government figures with these androids to assist them in establishing their secret colony. Yeah, we are for assimilation. Yeah. Uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker, the TV show, is an American television series that aired on ABC during the 1974-75 season for 20 episodes. Huh, so it didn't do very well, eh? It actually, this is the weird thing, is it actually did. Like, it, it kept doing well, but for whatever reason, it didn't get picked up for a second season. Oh, maybe it was too uh, expensive. Yeah. Shooting in Hawaii. Yeah. Although the series lasted only a single season, it rapidly achieved cult status and has remained very, very popular in syndication. I, n- I don't know if I've ever seen the series. Uh, it's all on Peacock, if you want to take a look at it. Well, I do. Uh, it, yeah, it looks great. An episode of the series titled The Vampire was an actual sequel to Night Stalker, the TV movie, deriving a story from characters introduced in the film. Nice. Uh, following the series' cancellation, the franchise was still highly regarded enough to prompt two more TV films which were created by editing together material from four previous episodes of the series with some additional narration provided by McGavin as Kolchak to help connect the plot lines. No new footage was included. Well, that's stupid. It was it, Those four episodes were never aired. aired. Oh, okay. So it was just the 16. So they took those last four and made it into two TV movies. Well, that makes sense. Both of them did really well. Uh, the popular TV movie, along with the sequel in the TV series, provided the inspiration for Chris Carter's The X-Files. Carter actually featured actor Darren McGavin in the show as a tribute to the actor and the project that inspired his popular series. Originally, Carter had wanted McGavin to play Kolchak, but the actor elected not to, so the role was rewritten, making McGavin's character Arthur Dales the father of the X-Files. Listen, this is going to be awesome. We want you to play Kolchak. I'm not doing it. Well, Darren, I mean, everybody loves the character... Can't, nah, I'm not doing it. I'm not Kolchak. You got to pay me a million dollars to be Kolchak again. <laughs> what if we make you the father of the X Files? I, all right. 
Don't do it. I could see him just being like, eh, I've already done that. Like, eh. Yeah, but it would be so cool. It would be no. It would make no difference to the character. I but mean, it would like, make a difference to us. That's what fans. I mean. That's what I mean. For him as an actor, it's like, who, can, who cares? Oh, like, it would have been so much cooler to tie him together. Yes, exactly. I well, now I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what the hell, Darren McGavin? <laughs> a remake show was made in 2005 starring Stuart Townsend. Bad choice. Yeah, it was canceled after airing less than one season. He's not right. Stuart Townsend was wait was Stuart Townsend playing the vampire or Kolchak? Kolchak, no, he should have played the vampire. Yeah, Kolchak, you need like to play Kolchak. You need somebody like uh, oh, what's that idiot Yogi Bear young guy <laughs> in everything stoner. The idiot Yogi Bear young guy? Yeah, he, he did Sausage Party and he did Oh, Seth Rogen? Yeah. You need somebody like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You described Seth Rogen as that idiot Yogi Bear young guy. He's, he's that... literally 40. He's yeah, my he, age. Okay, he's, he's that idiot Yogi Bear not so young guy. <laughs> no, I love him. He's super talented. Um, but I he's, think he would be perfect for Kolchak. He would be great. So if you're going to remake the Night Stalker, yeah, the sh- the show, yeah, you need a character in every man like him, and I think uh, Stuart uh, Townsend, Stuart, or, you, you, Seth Rogen. I think Seth Rogen would be perfect. I really want to see him play the part now. Now I'm, I'm you know, I Jason Segel would be really good too. Yes, I could see him doing it. Yeah. Either two of them, but I really, for some reason, Seth Rogen, just Seth Rogen just sticks. I just can't. I I love Seth Rogen, but I would I would lose complete believability when he started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he could act differently and change his. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he could act. <laughs> Seth Rogen acting? No, I'm... <laughs> he could act. I'm just kidding. He's great. Um, I love Seth Rogen. I, but yeah, but you're, you're right. But you're right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Stuart Townsend is too pretty. Oh. Like he's this like you know. He's like a model, and he's like, But that okay. was also the time when everybody had to be pretty. You couldn't have a character. Guy. That's why I love the 70s. The 70s is my favorite decade because they didn't care. Yeah. It, both men and women, their looks didn't matter. And I'm not saying these people were unattractive or anything. Right, right. But they were more normal. You know, they had long hair, and, and they, yeah. they, 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 the men were very hirsute. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's like people were allowed to be normal people. Yeah, they with, look, with, it looked like somebody that you could yeah. meet on the street. You could have a pot belly and be an actor. Yeah, it's true. You could be it's balding true. and be an actor. And have it, yeah. It's just, yeah, it was just such a great time for talent over... Uh, yeah. Sty- substance over style. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, in May 2012, Disney announced a film adaptation that was in the works with Johnny Depp starring and producing with Edgar Wright directing. Well... Eleven um, years later, uh, nothing. It never happened, obviously. Well, look, I love Johnny Depp, um, but he did Dark Shadows. Yeah, ironically, Johnny Depp would do Dark Shadows, uh, <laughs> which, which was a Dan good. Curtis. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and it yeah. was he and Michelle Pfeiffer. It's a shame because it, it, it could have been really good. Yeah, yeah. But that was the time too, where they were remaking all these properties, like the Avengers, the the British TV show, not yeah. the Marvel, and the Man from Uncle. Yeah, and they were doing all of these really bad. Just thin, thin remakes, right? With really right. good actors, like the Avengers had Ray Fiennes in it, and, and um, Uma uh, Thurman, Uma Thurman, yeah. yes. And Dark Shadows had Michelle Pfeiffer and Johnny Depp, and, and it, sh- it should have been better. Yeah, but they were just lazy writing, lazy. It was just it, it was at the time when all these remakes were just so thin. It was just they had the property, yeah, and they're like, let's just make a movie. 
Well, I mean, a lot of it was that it was done, you know, like six, seven years after Dan Curtis died. So hey, it's guys. Like... Hi. Oh. Well, hey, Bob. Hey. I just want to say that we didn't really care back then about story or anything. Well, that definitely comes through, Bob. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure that you know that story means nothing to us. <laughs> nothing. It's just money. Yeah. But we didn't make any money either, so. Yeah. But I got fired. But then I... <laughs> Failed upward. And yeah. Got another. And you became the, the CEO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of another studio. Yeah. Anyway. That's how it works. Yeah. Yay, Hollywood. Forgot to pick up the kids from camp. Oh. Three weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta go. Okay. <laughs> he ruins everything. He does. Bob is the ruiner. Uh, yeah. So I. that's all I got for The Night Stalker. That's I, a lot. I really, I just, I love this movie. It, it, it's, it's, it's a very apparent why it did so well at the time. It was, I want to say groundbreaking, but it was like it was just done really, really well. It was a different kind of vampire movie. Yeah, you know, we had like the, the horror films version. You know, you had your Christopher Plummer or your, uh, uh, what's the Count Dooku guy? Um, uh. Christopher Lee. Yeah. And Christopher Lee as Dracula. Yeah. And yeah. there were these very gothic. You know, and you right. never really had uh, much of a, a modern vampire take. Yeah. And this was, you're right, it was groundbreaking. But this was also a time of just golden TV. Oh, yeah. Such yeah. great TV movies. Yeah. Because it was the beginning of this. And so they didn't ham-fist themselves into what TV movies would become. Right. Which were... Watered down versions of movies. Yeah, yeah. This could yeah. have been a theatrical feature. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because there yeah. wasn't, you know, you also didn't, you, this was the beginning of like the R rated or the X, you know, we just started getting the right. MPAA ratings. Right. So it was just the start of things becoming TV uh, and film burgeoning away from each other. Right, in, a little more regulated. Right, in terms yeah. of morality. Right. Or right. what, or, you know, dirty stuff or words and stuff. Right, so you, right. you had a different choice. But at this point, there still were. You know, not things were still comparable, right? Right. So you were getting the same quality in film and on TV because they these yeah. guys realized, well, we can make a lot of money advertising if we get sixty five percent of the right. eyeballs. Right. On us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it it was great. I, I I mean, a lot of it we we could have for Matheson we could have covered the Twilight Zone. We sure. could have covered Duel. But everybody does. But but this is something that a lot of people don't know about. It, it was huge at the time, right. and a lot of people don't realize how big it was. It's a forgotten classic. And again, as we were talking about this, the 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 uniqueness of '70s sci-fi, yeah, there's also a uniqueness to '70s horror, yeah, yeah, that is different than any other decade. Yeah. And the late '70s, that's when it got really yeah. slashy and yeah. really graphic. Yeah. But in the early '70s, they were more of a thinker type, yeah. Yeah, uh, horror to it, you know, you, but like burnt offerings and yeah. all of these weird uh, pseudo satanic. Well, a lot of it was that they were still they were still adapting all these classics, yeah. and so they were creating new stuff that was kind of like, oh, we're in that same realm as these classics. Right. Like we can put our twist on it, but it's not like we're going to totally reinvent the wheel. It's just that we're going to tell these great stories that are in the same vein as right. like Dracula and, you know, Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde and like all these things. But I think Kolchak did kind of reinvent the wheel because you didn't have a Van Helsing coming to fight right, the vampire. Right. No, you had a reporter yeah. that's trying it's to figure dude, out what the hell's going right, on. Right. Investigating it. 
It wasn't, you know... Nobody would believe him. Yeah, and it's not like, oh, he's the hero with the stake, but he was the hero right, with the right. stake. I don't know. Did he end up killing him? Uh, no, it was the other guy. I think it was... Uh, he did die. I mean, they did kill him, right. but I don't think he... I don't actually now I don't remember. But I don't think it was one Kulchek, of them. Kolchak's not like a you know a gun. I'm pretty sure it was the other guy. Yeah, but yeah, same thing. So it's it it was the reason why it was so popular. It was unique. Yeah, it took something that everybody knew and turned it on its head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today it was you know we got vampires that turn into diamonds. We got <laughs> you know blade. We've got a right. thousand different types of vampires. Sure, I think sure. we've exhausted every single. Iteration yeah. of a vampire. We've had space vampires. Yeah. We, have... we have the 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 world is full of vampires, and there's only a couple people. Like, right? There's a, yeah. There's there, there. Yes, we have explored every avenue of of vampirism possible. Back then, no, no, it was new. And but that's, this is, I guess, this is what I was trying to say is that it was still familiar enough, yeah. but with its own twist. That it was like you you didn't realize they were reinventing the exactly. wheel. It was like, oh. I mean, a testament yeah. to that is in Omega Man, they didn't use vampires. Because they're like, right. vampires? That's right. silly. That's stupid, yeah. Let's make them weird albinos. <laughs> <laughs> Mutants is so it's much like, more hip right now. Let's make them white-eyed albino lepers. <laughs> That's a lot more feasible. Bit, sure. And crazy vampires. Yeah, yeah. But that was the thing. And the beauty of the 70s is people took a lot of risks. Yeah. And for some reason, they were given... The opportunity to, to to make these risks, yeah, because yeah. of the uh, burgeoning popularity of the counterculture and movies like Easy Rider, and you know, right. which are completely different than this, but it, but you could definitely see the '60s counterculture influence on Kolchak. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh sure. And you could definitely see it in the Omega Man. Oh yeah, Rat yeah. Baby, you yeah. turkey, you jab turkey. <laughs> but that's what was so much fun. That's why you get movies like Zardoz. Yeah. You know, yeah. with friggin' James Bond in a singlet. Yeah, yeah. Carrying around a broom handled Mauser. <laughs> makes no sense. No, riding whole, around in a giant. Whole movie makes no head. sense. Yeah. But you got it because people were like, sure, that sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds rad, dude. Um, Radical. It's, it, a lot of it, too, I think, was that, I mean, like you were saying earlier, there was three channels, yeah. and that was it. And and I think TV executives were more willing to take risks because it's like, well, hey, at the end of the day, a third of the audience is going to be watching it. Right. Like, we know that there's going to be an audience. We know we're going to make money on it. And they needed to get the younger viewers back because yeah. the kids protesting the war and the kids going to the right. Summer of Love sure didn't care about TV. No. You no. know, so they had to, you know, all of this stuff. It's funny. Any of that stuff that you watch, even... Weird stuff like the Paul Lin Chow. Yeah, yeah. They had the counterculture stuff yeah. put in there and the hippie, yippie to, stuff. Yeah. And yippies, as they used to call them. <laughs> and it's just fascinating. It's a, the 70s is a deceptively fascinating time. Mm -hmm. Culturally, artistically, and just civically, I guess. I mean, yeah. we were so... Yeah. It just seems like people were exhausted. It was a, definitely a time of change, yeah. Exhausted from the yeah. 60s. Yeah. And everybody just wanted to mellow the F out, <laughs> watch some crazy stuff, use their newfangled microwaves, use their newfangled yeah. VHS tape recording machines, yeah. and their, their newfangled eight-track players, <laughs> and smoke their dope, and just 
relax. Yeah, not just chillax, not yeah, worry about it anything. It was just living through this. The reason why I love the 70s so much, it was just so stress-free, it seemed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of things going on. There was the hostage crisis. The Vietnam War was still going on until 74, let's be honest. But, yes, you know, it was a very different time. Time where people didn't give a rat's butt about what their hair looked like. Right, right. There were no haircuts back then. No, just no. guys with with crazy. This is, this is why the eighties was the complete opposite of that. Yes. Everyone just went full tilt circle the other way. Yes, there was all this weird grooming, and that's when they had those. When Miami Vice was huge, they had those weird razors that Ugh. would give you stubble. The Miami Vice stubble. God. It was a weird time, but man, the seventies were gold for yeah. this type of. Stuff and for me, the seventies version of sci-fi or horror mm. is my favorite. Yeah, just because it's yeah. so unique to the time. It's very, fu- it's very fun. It's very yeah. interesting. I yeah, I it, it I love is, it. The, you know, right off the bat, if it's a seventies movie. You oh know? yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And and uh, for better or worse, <laughs> but this has been really fun because you know I I I did watch. I never watched the series, but. I did watch the movies as a kid. And yeah. I was a big Darren McGavin fan. Yeah. And, you know, he was just one of those guys that I loved. I was always searching for, I think I was always looking for a positive role model, a male role model. <laughs> and yeah. uh, he was one of them. And I just, anytime he was in anything, I yeah. loved this guy. And he's such an underrated actor. You oh, know, yeah. you watch this and then you watch A Christmas Story. He is brilliant in that movie. At Christmas. Yeah. I mean, he's brilliant in everything he does. But A Christmas Story is such an incredible performance. Oh, he's so good. And so lovable. And it's just so iconic. And the guy is so underrated and yeah. should never be forgotten. No. Because no, he's one totally. of our greats. He was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. I don't think he should burn in hell anymore. Okay. Well, let's I'll come around. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad that we could do that for you, Jim. Oh, what a magical day. Well, we'll be back next week. We're going to talk about go from the beauty of the 70s to the end of the 80s and how awful everything was. Oh, yeah, yes. I'm going to cap it off with a amazingly bad movie. I'm so excited to watch this movie. i got to tell uh, you. We're going to cover Loose Cannons. Yeah. I haven't seen this movie since it came out. I, don't, I do remember liking it because yeah. I was a huge fan of both Hackman and, and Dan Aykroyd back then. So we'll see. It is a piece of work. Well, when was the last time you saw it? I would think I was in college or maybe in high school. Like, I, it, so it... Probably like five or six years after it came out. It's really weird. It's going to be a weird way to end I, I, our I, Matheson. Month. I'm positive it was on. It was on like Showtime or Cinemax or something at some point. Oh, I was sure. watching it. You know, I, it was on all the time. It might have even been shortly after it came out. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible. I did not know that Richard Matheson wrote this movie, so yeah, I'm I. super excited yeah. to watch it again. Yeah, with that in mind, it's going to be a lot uh, of fun. But it is going to be a treat. There you go. We'll uh, see you next week. I'm a vampire. Welcome to the Jacks. Chickaboo-boo. BB-boobs. Chickaboo-boo-boo? I got too excited. I can tell. There we go. Deep breath. You can do this. I believe in you. Okay. I've only done this 112 times before, Jim. 111 times. Yeah. As well as starring in the TV movie The Death of Me Yet, directed by John Llewellyn Moxley. Moxley? Moxley. Wait, is, is that, that a different guy? Or Moxley? No, it's... Oh, my God. I think it is Moxley. Um, hold on. Yeah. No, it it's not. Mox- it's Moxley. It's Moxley. Okay, I misspelled it. All right. He's got Moxley, not Moxley. <laughs> he doesn't have Moxley. Right.
We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, The Partridge Family, already in progress.